This hour of Flames Talk underway. It is Friday, February 23rd, and Flames Talk is coming at you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or live right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's Steinberg along with you. It's a Friday, which means it's time for the Eric Francis Hour. Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca joins us this hour. And the Eric Francis Hour is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18-plus. Please play responsibly. And Eric joins us now as we've got a lot to talk about on this Friday afternoon. A ton going on when it comes to the Calgary Flames and a Battle of Alberta on Saturday night in Edmonton. Hello, EF. How are we doing? I'm good, my man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm um, very much not surprised how the week has gone for the Flames. Um, they uh, had a couple <laughs> of stinkers uh, coming onto that homestand, coming off the road. And it just felt like, yeah, they're probably going to beat both Winnipeg and Boston, right? Same way. Is it really going to surprise anybody if they go into Edmonton and beat them on Saturday? Even how that uh, that that rivalry's gone of late, just because that's been the narrative for the Flames this year. Hey, you, you look really good against some really good teams and maybe not so good against some teams that you would have liked them to be better against. Yeah, I've said this. I don't know how many times over the last couple of years, every time you think the flames are going to zig, they zag. And that's where we are right now. I mean, I've given up. I, I long ago <laughs> gave up trying to bet on flames games for or against them. You, you never know that, but uh, consistency is that, you know, there's two buzzwords that we were talking about on the air just last night in the intermission, like consistency and character. And, and, you know, they've shown tremendous character this week with those wins against Winnipeg and Boston. I don't think many people saw them hanging with either one of those guys the way they did, especially uh, in light of the early adversity against Winnipeg that they somehow managed to rebound from. And then, you know, but then comes the consistency issue. And, you know, it's funny, Oliver Shillington, of all people, is the one who keeps pointing that out. Like, that's what it takes to be successful in this league. It's consistency. Anybody can beat anybody on any, any given night, but can you do it regularly? And that's the problem the Calgary Flames are facing right now. Yeah, and it's going to be one of the conversations I'm sure we're having here in the next 25 games. And then you take into account, we still don't know what the hell this team is going to look like as they hit the real stretch drive. There's five games until the deadline. So they'll have 20 games to go once the deadline has passed. And you're wondering, what is this group going to look like as they enter the stretch drive? And I think the guy that everybody is wondering most about is a guy that you wrote about again at sportsnet.ca for Friday. And that's Jacob Markstrom coming off another Herculean effort against Boston. And in the back half of that game, second period, definitely the third and obviously overtime. Now they don't win that hockey game if Jacob doesn't have another outstanding night. And he continues to put himself in the Vesna Trophy conversation with the year he's having. And you know, last week, it maybe felt like it was more of um, 
it felt like maybe more like it was pointing towards Markstrom's going to get traded. A week later, you and I are talking, and it feels like things have quieted down. Last few times I've checked in in a couple of different spots. Sounds like there's not a whole lot going on, and you know things are pretty far apart on the New Jersey-Calgary-Jacob Markstrom front. And so now here we are two weeks from the deadline, Eric, and Jacob Markstrom's name is still out there, but this story just continues. You want to talk about zigging and zagging? Well, this one has zigged and zagged quite a bit over the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah, and, and, and you know, like, you know, the column I wrote last night off the game was, you know, this is just another example of why there's no rush to trade Jacob Markstrom. He keeps you in the playoff race. And I know Team Tank and, 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 and half the population in our city say, well, no, that's exactly why you need to trade Jacob Markstrom. He's stealing games. He's winning points that we shouldn't be getting so that the team could have a better draft position. And, and that's what they say. But, I, you know, I just think, to me, it's this simple when it comes to Jacob Markstrom. Obviously, you're going to trade him in the next little while, either, it, you know, this year this season before the trade deadline, or I would assume by the summer, but I don't even think that that's a hard deadline either. You know, you, you could go as far as next year's trade deadline. I think if you wanted to, before you really start to say, okay, now we really got to start to act on it. But I, I get that because it's a hot hand, his hot hand right now, I think you want to cash in on that. And I think that means this summer, listen, the way trades work in the National Hockey League, teams set values on guys that they're potentially looking at trading. And once somebody meets that that trade request, then you have to seriously consider trading them. So I'll sit here and tell you right now, if someone comes up with all the things that the Calgary Flames are asking for, and maybe they don't even want salary retention as part of it, like if they check all the boxes, then I think you trade them tomorrow. Yeah. But, but And I really do believe that, and I think that that's the way they feel. But if you don't get everything you absolutely want in your trade demands, then what's the rush? I, I don't understand the rush other than, you know, it, it hurting their draft position this year. But the upside is you keep yourself in a playoff race. You keep selling more tickets from now until they fall out of a playoff race, potentially. And, and who knows what the upside is, the golden ticket. You could get into the playoffs, which, you know, I know is a long shot right now. Uh, I know they're only three points out, but it's still a long shot. I think you and I would all have agreed. You know, they're not just because there's so many teams between them and that final wild card berth, but because they're about to get decimated by losing one of the best shutdown defensive pairs in the National Hockey League, and, and we'll see what that does to the roster, to the morale, uh, to the point totals, to the wins and losses. But I, I, I just until someone is ready to meet your price point, why? There's no need to panic on the, on the Jacob Markstrom front. And it's reason why I've always said, I think this is a summertime deal because that's when, you know, and again, we've, you, I'm a broken record. We've said this so many times in this chat, but you know, you've got potentially 31 teams that you could talk to teams that have lost in the first round and said, man, we really could have used a goaltender um, teams that, you know, just for whatever reason, either losing a goalie or the goalie gets injured or wants to leave their organization, whatever. Options abound in the summer. Options don't abound right now outside of maybe one or two teams is my understanding. Yeah. So I why mean, press press the issue? It, it's it right now. It sounds like New Jersey's the team that wants him. New Jersey's the team that feels like they um, really need him now and going forward. But 
I'm I'm a hundred percent where you are. You know, we always talk about asset management, right? And we talk about how important that is. And and so far, I think the Flames have done very well with their asset management so far. And there's two weeks still to go uh, until the report card is is fully f- filled out. But so far, Craig Conroy has managed his assets perfectly. If you're not signing here, you're getting traded, or you're signing here in the in the in the example of the captain, Michael Backlund signed his contract and he remains a member of the Calgary Flames. But you know what? Everybody else, Tyler Toffoli, Nikita Zadorov, and now Elias Lindholm, they've all been traded. And if Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev aren't signing, and we don't believe they're going to, they're going to get traded as well. And so he's managing these assets properly. Well, it's different with Jacob Markstrom. He's under contract for two more years. He's having a MVP caliber season on this team. He's one of the two or three or four best goaltenders in the NHL this year. And because of that, they should be asking for an extremely high return if they're going to trade him. And if New Jersey comes to him and says, we're finally willing to do it, then yeah, you go to him, you see if he's going to wave and and maybe you make the trade. And if they don't, then you keep him and you revisit it in the offseason. That to me, like not trading him for... Because you're not getting his worth or trading him for less than what he's worth, I'm with you. That doesn't make any sense right now. Yeah, and you know, just you for look the at, sake of trading him, exactly. Because I, I know from you know, look, the Flames front office is kind of closed ranks. I get it. I think it's a smart idea. They don't want to contribute to any of the rumors. They don't want to. Uh, they 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 just they're hunkered down. Listen, when Craig Conroy turns down a chance to go play poker all night with a whole bunch of people he really likes you know that it's serious <laughs> and you know that he's, you know, really honing in on trying to figure out, you know, all three of these potential situations, the, the new, and every day it goes longer. Listen, the New Jersey devils are even in an even more precarious situation when it comes to their playoff hopes. So if they don't continue to, you know, make headway on that race, they're five points out right now. And again, they're tied with two other teams in that spot. Um, you know, then they drop out of the race and the chance that they're going to really push hard to get this deal done before the deadline dissipates and then potentially have no series. I'm not saying nobody else is interested, but I'm saying I, it's my understanding that, you know, nobody's obviously interested to the extent that the, the, extent uh, the, is, the yeah. devils are. Yeah. And then you look around the league, you can, you can go through the standings and just look at all the teams that might potentially need goaltending and then start looking at how much, Cap space they have, none, pretty much for everybody. And you think about assets that they have, and in a lot of cases, they're dwindling. And it's just not a makeable deal for a lot of teams right now. So uh, I don't – I understand people just want to tank. Those are generally people who don't have season tickets. Those are generally people who just turn off the TV and say, oh, well, who cares? Uh, And and they don't watch for two or three years while the team struggles through a rebuild or retool, whatever the case may be. Right now – the realistic approach, I think the smartest approach is to be patient. And guess what? Is there one thing that we can all in this city agree on that Craig Conroy's patience has really been his greatest virtue throughout all of this, whether, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, whatever deal you're looking at or not, you know, deals that he didn't make. Sometimes people got impatient. He didn't. And I think that if we look at the three trades he's made, I would, I would, I think he came out looking pretty good on all three of them, and the one that I know people still criticizes is the Dorop trade. And I'm hoping that over time that people check their head and realize that was actually a really, really good move. 
the talk right now in Vancouver is that they may have to move Zadorov out when they bring in someone better than him. This is this is what I've been hearing now. Yep. So I, I'm not suggesting it's actually going to happen, but I think they found out pretty quickly that Zadorov is, not, you know, he was a third pairing defenseman. We'll just leave it at that, right? I don't need to throw shade on him. He was he was popular here and he filled a really good role as a third pairing guy, but that's all he was. And third pairing guys don't get second and first round draft picks in the exchange for them. Uh, you know, guys like Tanev and Hanab do. Tanev and Hannafin do, and that's that's the other part of the discussion, obviously, that Craig's looking at. Yeah. The um well and, and so now here we are in a situation where you know the 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 Jacob Markstrom thing might kick up again between now and the trade deadline, and um, I I think the way that Craig has gone about handling this, I mean I, I I if that if that report doesn't get out a couple of weeks ago from Elliot Friedman on Saturday headlines, and that's not to throw shade at Elliot at all, because obviously if he's putting it on Saturday headlines, we know that his reporting is beyond reproach, and and he's not putting that out there unless he knows it happened. But if that if if he doesn't get wind of it. Like I, th- this conversation is nowhere near to the same extent it is, and we're barely talking about Jacob Markstrom, and we're talking about Hannafin and Tanev, and and that's that's the that's the really fascinating part now is that okay, Jacob Markstrom seems to continue to dominate most of the conversation, mainly because it's more of a will they, won't they thing. On the Hannafin and Tanev front, it's just bizarre. They keep on playing. They keep on playing well as a pairing. They keep on going out there and laying it on the line and and helping the team win games when they're winning, so on and so forth. And yet all of this, you're talking about the playoffs. You're talking about Jacob Markstrom and how he's keeping them in games. You're talking about them being three points out and playing well against Winnipeg and Boston and all of this. And yet we know that in the next two weeks, they're – I would argue that Hannafin and Tanev's been their top pairing this year, and that's gonna that's that that's getting taken away from the team, and we have no idea to what extent that's going to end up hurting the team. Some believe that's gonna completely put them out of the playoff conversation. Some believe the way Oliver Shillington's playing that maybe they they could stay competitive, especially if Markstrom hangs around. It's this weird purgatory that hangs over everything else right now. It absolutely is, and 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 that's you know the theory, of course, before these last two wins for the Flames, was that it was hurting the team, it was detrimental to their mindset as they were going into games, and it's the reason why they were slipping against some of the weaker uh, teams in the league. But I, I, you know, again, even more credit to the character of this team, and the coach uh, gives all the credit to the the leadership, mm-hmm. Michael Backlund and his his fellow leaders for keeping this team's mindset straight uh, through a really you know interesting as Kuzmenko would say interesting time (laughs) it is it is a fascinating time it is it's a the team is in a holding pattern and in the meantime they've got to go out and still try to win as many games as they can uh you know I I, I, you know there obviously there's no question that those two defensemen are, are going to get traded and and I do think that there's genuine excitement on behalf of the fans in terms of okay well this means that Oliver Shillington gets to get bumped up to be the number three guy, which I don't think anybody in this city has concerns about. As a matter of fact, I think people are excited about mm-hmm. that. Um, and, and that's not to say he's going to be as good as Hannafin or Tanev. He's a different player for sure. Um, but I, I think that the drop-off there is not significant. Obviously, it's after that where the, the drop-off is going to be uh, under a microscope. I would assume any trade that they make 
for one or both of those guys is going to include a defenseman or two back, um, a serviceable defenseman that can get them from here to the end of the season and or here till you know the end of next year. But it's going to be so fascinating to see how they fill in those gaps on that blue line. We we know that you know they're excited about some of the prospects you know that the organization has on the blue line, but not really ready yet, right? So that's going to be fascinating. And, and it, listen, if this team continues to hang around after those trades, that's nobody's expecting that. But again. I'm sure they're looking at each other in there and seeing that as a motivation. Look, everyone says we're out of this. Let's just keep proving everybody wrong. Do you um, do you envision them being able to do it? And what I mean by do it, especially if they keep, especially if they keep Markstrom, can they make the playoffs if they trade away Hannafin and Tanev and and lose? Even if they bring back defensemen and and those can be guys that help fill holes on the roster not going to be to the same level that those two are and not going to be the same type of pairing that pairing's been this year. Can they do it? Can they stay in it right to the end if they, if when they trade those guys? I, I think they can make it interesting right till the last, say, handful of games. But do I think they can make the playoffs after, after losing those guys? No. Because I think that the one thing that is going to be exposed the most when those two guys are gone is just how effective they were at blocking shots, you know, protecting lanes, helping their goaltender be spectacular, uh, communicating with their goaltender. You know, there, there is a, uh, it takes time for that sort of stuff to develop. Uh, Markstrom's worked with Tanev for, what, six, seven years, dating back to Vancouver. Yep. Hannafin and him worked together for so long. Markstrom talks about the communication and how important that is between them, whether it's playing the puck or just in their positioning and allowing shots to come through or not allowing shots to come through. So I, I think, you know, Tanev is, what, top five in the league, I think, at block shots. You know, a percentage of those get by Tanev, and those are in the net. You know, so I, I just think that um, it's too much to ask for this team to stand. Listen, if they were keeping those guys, I still think they're a long shot to make the playoffs, right. given the position they're in right now, how many teams are challenging for it, different teams that have the potential to surge. You know, I'm sure you talked about it on your show, like handicap all the teams that are in that wild card race and are the Flames the best team you know, of, of all those chasing for that eighth wild card spot. I don't know. I think you could probably make an argument argument for that now, but after you lose those two guys, I'm not sure you can make that argument at all. And, uh, and, and I think it'd be really, really tough. And of course, as we said earlier, if you trade Markstrom, then there's zero chance you're making the playoffs. It's that simple. And I, I worry a little bit about the message that sends to your room. These guys have shown quite a lot of character this year as a young team, uh, a lot of new parts on this team, and they've really stayed in this race despite some horrific, you know, swings in momentum. Um, they've stayed in this race, and I, I don't think they deserve to have it, the team gutted. Again, that said, you get everything you're asking for and more for Markstrom. You go into that room as Craig Conroy, and you explain to everyone, guys, I know there's a huge blow, but this organization is now officially moving into a retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Markstrom got us a lot of assets. We're going to go in a different direction, and I, you know, I'm sorry that I had to do this, but this is for the betterment of the club, right? I mean, I think yeah. you just got to suck it up. It's not going to be a fun thing, and I don't, and I know that that's not what Conroy was planning coming into the trade deadline. But again, I always go back to it. Wayne Gretzky got traded. Anything is possible if the right offer is made.
And, you know, I, I think that you could I, I you can squint and see how the right offer could get made for Markstrom. I, I absolutely can see how a New Jersey would really get desperate and, and maybe try to pull that off. But as you said earlier, maybe if they fall a little further out of it, they, they don't see a path to the playoffs and they don't go down that road. But I just yeah, it's 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 one of those things where, you know, that there, there's a certainty with two guys. I just I, I don't understand the zeal in some corners of trade Markstrom at all costs because I'm with you. Like, unless you are going to be able to show to your locker room that we hit an absolute home run, look at what this guy just brought back. I know you don't care about that, but at least we can sell that to the locker room that this is better for the organization. If you go out and trade Markstrom for a second and a fourth round pick, how do you sell that to your locker room that's making your team better long term? That would be trading just to just just to trade, and that makes no sense. Um, and on the other hand, if you were to look at it and you get the return that you're looking for, and you set your price high, and then you say no to it, well, then what are you doing for your team long term? That doesn't really make sense, especially as you said. I, I think that we're all kind of in the same boat that there's a pretty good chance that Jacob does get moved here between now and next season, whether it's in the next two weeks or yes. not is, is yeah. another story. Exactly. I'm not saying don't trade Jacob Markstrom. I'm saying what's the rush is kind of the big, my big thing. And last night I asked every player after that game, what does Jacob Markstrom mean to this team? And you heard the responses. I think the coach said he means everything. I mean, that's, those are strong words. And again, if he has to be traded, it's the way to go, then, then sure. But it would gut this organization. It would gut that dressing room for sure. And, you know, I think in the summer, guys could be a whole lot more prepared for it and then get ready to start a new season with a whole new attitude and a new approach. But, you know, I also had a conversation with Kadri yesterday about, you know, like, he's like, I, I, I didn't come here to lose games. I came here to win games. He, mm-hmm. didn't, he wasn't going down the path of like, hey, I'm not in for a rebuild. But, you know, He's here to win games. He too said Markstrom is our, the backbone of our team. And, 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 and those are just powerful sentiments. You know, uh, everybody loves Markstrom was another comment. I, I, everybody loves him. I think the coach said, so you're, you're really, uh, it's a bit of a dangerous game. If you're going to decide to go that route, you better be sure that the return is everything you ever dreamed of. Or else, I think you're really uh, doing uh, your your team, your your organization a disservice by yeah. rushing this thing. Um, Mike in Vancouver, text in listening live, says uh, I keep hearing that Markstrom will be traded if the right price is offered, and rightly so, I say. But what is the right price in your minds? And and for me, I, I keep going back to if you're asking a, a certain price for Noah Hannafin, which you know if you're if you're looking for a first round pick and a top end or a, or a solid prospect or NHL ready young player, and then something else. If that's kind of what the ballpark is for a guy like Hannafin. Shouldn't it be right around the same for Markstrom? Like, shouldn't you, especially knowing that Jacob's got two years left with cost certainty, having the season that he's having and not carrying a cap hit that is all that difficult to handle when it comes to a number one goalie? Like, should you not be asking for something right in the same ballpark as you'd be asking for Hannah Finn or what you were asking for Lindholm? 100%. 100%. You're looking at three pieces minimum. Uh, the upside, you know, for the Lindholm trade was five pieces. I mean, that was, 
that was, I think, even more than they even thought they were going to get. For sure, it was. Uh, when they when they started balancing it off against you know what, playing teams off one another, I think they got a little bit more. Here's the problem again with rushing this trade: who are you playing the, the New Jersey Devils off against? Who else? You know, again, we're going. We're assuming that because there are no rumors that there's there's not that much interest or not significant interest in in Markstrom, which could be a perilous game to play, but. I just, again, I've looked through the league. I've looked at who might be interested or capable of making a significant offer for him. And I just don't see many options out there. Like are the Leafs still pushing to improve their goaltending? It's been pretty damn good of late against all odds, but you know, are they willing to expend huge, huge assets to upgrade their goaltender? No, I think they'd be willing to put huge, huge assets on the line to get better defensemen before the goaltender. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and again, I, I remind people of the conversation I had with, you know, Conroy was the one who said it to me is, you know, what uh, what the Vegas Golden Knights did last year really hurt the market for proven uh, veteran goaltenders because they won the Stanley Cup last year with four completely unproven goaltenders and a Jonathan Quick who was having the worst career uh, season of his career. So, you know, it's that next up mentality that every team's looking at going, well, if this goalie doesn't work, we'll just try this one. And if this goalie doesn't work, we'll try this one. At some point, you run out of options and you go pay for the big guy and that's going to happen this summer with Jacob Markstrom, in my opinion. Yeah, and I and I, I do. There, there have been some who have said, "Well, the only reason I want to see them trade Markstrom now is because you want to maximize him playing at the level he's at. You want to kind of cash in when his value is at its highest." Which I get, but because of the position, to your point, it's just a, a whole lot more difficult to make that happen the same way. It's a whole lot more difficult to capitalize on a guy because the market is so small, to your point. If they're truly working with one team, how you play in New Jersey off another team, that's that's very well said. I get wanting to maximize his value, but it's tough to do so when you've only got one team that you're working with. That's right. And, and again, we don't know that for sure, but again logic dictates that there aren't many teams really pressing for that, that big name goaltender. Uh, you know, it's one of those uh, debates that people continue to have, and we're having it again today. I mean, we're not really debating because you and I are kind of on the same page with this thing, but like I, I will always see the other side. Um, but again, the upside and, and one of the intangibles is morale. And um, you know, you keep morale up by keeping them here. You're already about to go to a, it's going to be a tough day or two at the Dome after they trade Hannafin and Tana. Boy, those guys are as beloved as, as two teammates can be. And so, you know, you're going to deal with that. Now, maybe some people say, well, rip the Band-Aid off trademarks from the same day and then just get this thing over with. Um, I get that too, but it's not the way I see it. You surprised, uh, surprised those deals aren't done yet? No. No, I'm not because I I, I think that they sit up in the, in the office and they say, I just think if we could just get it, you can almost hear Craig. Ah, God. Yeah, I just want a little more. Just say, well, why can't they give us this guy or that guy? And, you know, it's all about playing teams off one another. And I think the Calgary Flames know that they are uh, the dam blocking the flood of trades. You know, they're the you know, all trades kind of go through them. They're controlling the market right now. And I think it's important that they set the right prices and uh, they know that they're holding the biggest cards right now. And, um, you know, the only reason why you, you, you might want to rush it is because you don't want to risk injury. 
I get that. That's a dangerous game that they're playing. Yeah. I'm not one to say that I think they should sit these guys. I really am not, especially while your team's still in a bit of a race. Um, the league doesn't like that very much. You wrote a, good, a really good column about that last Sunday about the merits of that or, or you know, for and against it. And I, I just don't, I don't see it. I, that's the only reason why you'd want to rush this thing. Otherwise it's worth waiting as long as you can to maximize the return uh, on your, on your investments, your, on your assets. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating. I, you know, and and again, I even think there are teams out there that are talking to the flames that are like, not even sure which of the two defensemen they'd like the most. Cause I think that's an interesting debate right there. Like, Every team would have a slightly different look on whether they want Hannafin or Tanev for their playoff run. Yeah. Right? Well, and I, I mean, you know, absolutely. Because I think about one of the teams that I find most interesting and could be like a, a silent partner here. I think about Dallas. I'm like, if I'm Dallas, I want Tanev more than I have Hannafin. I've got, I've got Hayskin and I've got the, like, uh, they, they need what yeah. Tanev brings. I think about Boston. I'm like, well, they need, like, Hannafin would be a perfect fit there. Or I think about Tampa, and I know it's tough to, see how Tampa would actually make the trade work. But from a, just an asset perspective, like, oh, Hannafin would be perfect for the Lightning with Sergeyev out as long-term as he is. I, mm-hmm. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think yeah. that there's, there's merits for each guy depending on what team you are. And one thing that hasn't leaked out either, and again, good on the, the team and the agents and everything to keep this in-house, but I was fascinated to, to hear from Conroy that when they were trading Lindholm, only one team asked to talk to Lindholm's representation about the possibility of an extension. I was fascinated and very surprised to hear that. All these teams were willing to just roll the dice on this guy as a rental with always the possibility that, hey, if it works out really, 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 really well, then maybe he'll want to sign with us and we can make things work out. But I, you know, I would be very surprised if a lot of the teams that want to talk about potentially trading for Hannafin aren't talking to their representation about a sign and trade or about the, at the very least a possibility of signing an extension once he arrives in the new city. So, you know, we haven't heard of those rumors. We haven't heard of those discussions, yeah. but you know, those, uh, those insiders, and I've never tried to proclaim to be what they do, you know, uh, but they, they're, they're tightest with the agents. So those guys, you know, Elliot's going to be the guy if the, when those things start happening, he'll be the guy to start reporting, um, that the permission's been given for this team or that team to talk to Hannafin's agent about the potential mm-hmm. of, a, of an extension. That 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 if it's coming from anywhere, it's going to be coming from Elliot. Yeah, a couple of a uh, couple of like subtle like yeah, Tampa Bay. That's a that's a spot that Hannafin would really like to go. Right, you know exactly where that's coming from. That's coming and and Noah's got the yeah. best and Noah's got the best in the biz. As his representation, when Pat Brisson is is the guy who is making these things happen and and pulling the strings behind the scenes, you you, you can feel like you're in pretty good hands in terms of where you're going to end up, right? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna just based on things I've heard, just chatting with people around the league and stuff. If I'm gonna predict, okay, I want you to throw a prediction out there and. I don't want this going online and as a, as a, as a, but just for a fun prediction, I think Tanev goes to Dallas and I think Hannafin somehow winds up in Tampa Bay. You know, Wes That's- and I, and I know how much you despise Wes. So I'm sorry for, 
bringing that name up. Um, Never heard of him. But uh, last week on Valentine's Day, uh, Wes and I had a very romantic segment where we did like a Valentine's Day matchmaker. And mm-hmm. I think my, I, I yeah, I, I think my Hannafin was Tampa is the one I chose. Like who, what's the best match? Not so much in terms of like what the best trade for the Flames would be, just player and another team. What's the best match? And I think I was exactly you. Uh, Dallas for Tanev and Tampa for Han. I know for sure it was Tampa for Hannafin and either Dallas was my number two or my number one on Tanev. Listen, Hannafin's so tight with Kachuk. Uh, I, I've cited this story a million times, but when we were in Florida last year, the whole Flames team went over. Well, I think about, I don't know, 12 guys from the Flames team went over at Kachuk's house, which is on the water. It's got jet skis in his backyard, pool, hot tub, you know, just amazing, right? A dream scenario for like a 25, 27-year-old dude. And uh, it, it, never mind, not a 50 or 70-year-old dude. <laughs> but, you know, and, and and I think that he saw that. And I think I think a lot of guys in that room probably saw that and thought, man, they're, you know, when I get a chance, if I ever get a chance to call my own shot, man, I would kill to have a scenario like this. And I think that, um, you know, there's no room right now for the Florida Panthers to sign on Noah Hannafin or trade for him. But, you know, and I know Tampa's going to have a hard time coming up with the assets, so maybe it's impossible. But I just, I've just always, ever since that visit, I remember thinking, God, if Hannafin could get down to Florida, I bet he would, I bet he would do it if he had the chance. So we'll see. We'll you think, see. Boston, but you think Boston could make it happen? Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. They love him in Boston. You know, they, he's a Bostonian. He would, he would, I think he'd kill to be a, a Bruin, um, again, they, they are pretty short on assets too. But, uh, you know, many trades have been made over the years where you just didn't think there was a way, but a team says, no, no, we really want to make this happen. And again, the Hannafin trade is different uh, because this is uh, a long-term thing. You know, uh, the Bruins or Tampa, they could be packaging up someone who you'd never fathom they were going to trade anyway. But to make room for Hannafin, and to include another asset in the deal, they may have to include someone who we didn't see coming the other way. Anyway, it's I I, I I've always said I you know I don't love all the trade rumors and everything, but I am fascinated to see what, what how, obviously how it shakes down by March eighth. My uh, my dark horse on Hannafin is Detroit, and the one that I just can't stop thinking about for Tanev still goes back to can Conroy wait out Brad True Living and get a first yeah. round pick for him. We'll see. I know. We'll see. It's just, it's been, it's been talked about forever. I know. Right. And, and, and I could, yeah, it's, uh, I, I certainly, nobody in the world would be surprised if Tanev ended up in Toronto, but uh, it would be interesting to see what the package would be in return because that's, that's half the battle for the Leafs. Uh, okay, we are underway on the Eric Francis Hour this hour on Flames Talk. Eric Francis is Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Pat Steinberg along with you. Uh, and uh, the Eric Francis Hour is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a $312 million positive economic impact in Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, one guy that maybe we're not talking about enough this season, although I, I do think that that is 
starting to pick up. So much talk about trades. So much talk about Markstrom's year, Blake Coleman's year. You know, Mackenzie Weger leading all defensemen in, with, with goals, all that type of stuff. But two more points from Nazem Kadri on Thursday. His 20th goal is the overtime winner. His assist on the 2-1 goal late in the first period was his 30th assist. So he's up to 50 points on the year. The Eric Francis Hour, Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Pat Steinberg along with you. Nazem Kadri just keeps on impressing. He keeps on setting the tone. He keeps on leading the way. And now as we approach three quarters of the way through the season, Eric, outside of Jacob Markstrom, I don't know if there's been a more consistently impactful guy on this team than Nazem Kadri in year two with the Calgary Flames. Yeah, I, I, I might, I might argue with you that Blake Coleman's right there. He he would be it, for sure. You know, I think he might be the most consistent at times. He was more prolific. At this point, Cadre's the only guy who's got more points than Coleman. Coleman still has more goals. He's the team leader in goals. Like, who would have fathomed a sentence like that would be made uh, at any time during Coleman's stay here in Calgary? He's plus twenty three which is almost 20 more than Kadri has. Again, a silly stat, but kind of somewhat telling. So anyway, I, I, you know, Kadri, I'm, I'm wondering if what we're seeing right now is him saying, look, this team, they lost their number one center. I want to be that guy now. It, you know, I want, to, I want to be known as a number one center. I think throughout his career, everyone's always said, man, he is a great number two center, but he is not a number one center. And you know, I just wonder if, you know, the fire we're kind of seeing right now in him, uh, not not over the edge, you know, not the emotional um, uh, tightrope walking cadre yeah. that he was when he was younger. We're not seeing that anymore. We don't see that sort of snarl. But, man, when he got that goal last night, you could see that it meant a lot to him. He was jacked up. He's had a couple moments like that this year where he is, like, it means a lot to him. And I thought the coach said it really well after the game. He's one of those guys who hates to lose more than he likes to win. And and I think that uh, we're seeing that competitive side of him right now. The side that nobody wanted to see from Kadri, and I think we've seen it from time to time, or misinterpreted it as a guy who doesn't really care. He's got his money. He's won his cup. And the way he kind of conducts himself in front of the media, I think sometimes people misconstrue that lackadaisical approach as someone who doesn't really care and is finished really, you know, given a crap. Um, but I, I think what we've seen from him most of this season, if not all of it is a guy who really does care and uh, is really done his part to live up to the contract he signed. And I don't think there's anyone who would sit here and say that his contract is lumped in with Kuberdo's Remember, for the last year and a half, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of people say, well, those two contracts are untradeable. I don't think you say that about Kadri anymore. Uh, and I know that contract may not age well as that that'll be the concern for a lot of people. But right now, I don't think there are many people saying, no, that's untradeable. No one's ever going to be interested in Nazem Kadri. I think the fire that that guy could still bring to a team as a second line center is uh, something that still teams would be interested in looking at. If, if Nazem Kadri were to go to the flames this summer and say, and I, I don't think this is, I'm not trying to suggest that this is going to happen by any means, but you know, there's been talks out there about, 
how he may not be interested in in going through a retool or a rebuild. Like if he were to go to the Flames this summer and say, you know what, I I, I might I might be better suited elsewhere. I'm with you, Eric. I I think that you could get something for him. I don't think we're talking about anywhere near the same type of of situation as we're talking about with Jonathan Huberto. I, I I think absolutely you could have takers on that contract with how well he's played this year and and how well he's really turned that narrative on him. Um, and you know the the other thing is, I think part of why he comes across somewhat nonchalantly when he's talking in the media. And I think I heard that most in the first month of the season when the numbers weren't there and, and he was really struggling to put up points. He was, he, he came across as very like, it's fine guys. I'll be fine. I know I'm playing well. I I think a guy who plays in Toronto that long and deals with that circus and also being a guy who, as you mentioned, was quite controversial at times while he was a member of the Maple Leafs. This guy has honestly been there, done that. He's a cup winner. He's played in the toughest media market in hockey. It's just like, it's not that he's nonchalant and that he doesn't care. It's just like he doesn't sweat the small stuff because he knows he doesn't have to. He really has seen it all in a lot of ways. He really has. And uh, I, I cite, you know, what, 10 games into the season, I think that's the, where we were at and, and everyone's kind of saying, Hey, you know, what's wrong. And you know, where, and he goes, I'm playing, I'm doing all the things that I need to do. I'm just not getting rewarded. And then like 10 games later, he'd gone to, he'd thrown together some pretty good scoring bench. And he says like, guys, I, I tried to tell you, like, I, I have not changed a thing. Everything is the same. I was doing all the right things in my mind to play my game. I'm just now getting rewarded with points. And I told you they would come and they're coming. And so, you know, he doesn't say it in a, he's not being a jerk. He's just kind of shrugging it off going guys. Like I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't being evasive or suggesting I'm just snake bit. I'm just telling you that that's, I felt like I was playing the same way the whole time. So there's a, there's certainly an air of confidence to him for sure. That's, that's uh, unquestionable. And um, I think he's really patient with us too. I mean, I think, I think that he's, he answers all our questions. You never see him kind of push back or he just, he's happy to roll off whatever. Cause he's dealt with, he's dealt with everything when it comes to the media, for sure. I do. Um, it's funny. Ryan Huska mentioned this uh, earlier this week and even Nazem mentioned it last night, post game after the overtime winner talking about playing with as many young guys. And, you know, basically what yeah. Ryan Huska said earlier this week was, you wonder a guy, a veteran like that, and you put him with two rookies, and he's like, "I'm playing with these guys, um, and like, uh, like this is who I'm going to be playing with." And Nazem, I think it was, uh, I think it might have been to one of your questions, Eric, where he goes, I, "I've never played with this many rookies in my life." Um, yeah. And and but I wonder if at first maybe there was a little, eh, what are we talking about here? Like, I'm I'm going to be centering. Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil, these guys have like zero NHL games combined. Uh, you, you sure about this? But I, I, I wonder if as it's gone along, like it, it may have surprised him how much he's really embraced, not only being a leader, but being to your point about him, maybe taking on that. Hey, I'm going to show you, I can be a number one center. I also wonder if he's like, Hey, I can put a line on my back and, and I can really elevate guys around me. I, and, you know, much has been made about how energized he's been by those two young guys. And I think that, I don't think it was, 
I mean, I can't remember exactly thinking back, but like, I don't think from day one, they've just been putting rookies on his line for their, for their debut. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe from day one, those guys were on his line, but from day one, those guys were having some success offensively and just playing the game in, in terms of Pospisil and Zara. I mean, they both famously scored in their first games. And, you know, so I don't know if there was even time for him to go, man, I just keep getting all these rookies. Um, it fit, you know, they were having success right away. And for him to be paired with them, I think was almost advantageous for, it was for both parties, for the kids and for him. So I, it's, uh, it's been a neat story. Uh, he certainly never expected to be in that position when he signed with this team yeah. uh, two, two years ago. Like, hey, we're going to sign you to a seven-year deal and pay all this money, and you're going to play with two raw rookies next year. Like, nobody could have seen that coming. But the way everything has kind of evolved or devolved for this organization, that's the position he's in, and he hasn't sulked. He's made the most of it, and that's, that's impressive too. How are you feeling about uh, this Battle of Alberta on Saturday night? I think I think people in Calgary go into a lot of the Battle of Alberta scared. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I think people think, oh, God, we're about to get it handed. You know, I, I don't say we, but people in southern Alberta say that. I do believe that when I talk to buddies and they're like, oh, God, brace yourself. This could be bad. Um, but the way the Flames have been able to, to rise to to the occasion so much this year in games where on paper they're probably outmatched, uh, I'm just excited about the game myself. I, I, I never care if they win or lose, but I, you know, I'm excited. The battle of Alberta is always exciting. Like you, you have to look forward to those things, especially I don't mind going up there. It's a great atmosphere. Those are some great fans up there. Like it's going to be an amazing, amazing stage on hockey night in Canada. Like it's going to be great. I, do I think they can win? I think it's a pretty tall task to go into that building against that team that's had that much success. I just wrote a piece today about they've the Oilers have won eight of the last nine meetings in the Battle of Alberta, including four straight. It all dates back to the debacle in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And Rasmus Anderson said to me, hey, how many guys we got left from that team? Like four, five, five, six? I counted them up. There's uh, nine guys. <laughs> uh, ten if you include Walker Dewar, but he wasn't really playing in the playoffs. But, you know, it, half the team's gone for sure, and most of the core pieces are gone. But still, uh, I think the overwhelming thing I got from both Coleman and Rasmus Anderson is neither one of them seem convinced that they know exactly like how to beat the Oilers. You know, Rasmus says something like, "You know, you, you got to limit their, you got to play in their zone and make them play defense." They don't like to play defense. Well, under their new coach, they've been pretty damn good at that too. So I'm not sure that old narrative that you got to play a 2-1 game with the Oilers serves you well. You lost a 3-1 game last time you played against them. So anyway, it, throw everything out because who knows what we're going to get tomorrow night. I'm just looking forward to it. Yep, should be good. Last one in Edmonton, round three of this year's uh, four-round Battle of Alberta. Nice to at least have four of them this year as opposed to what mm-hmm. we got last year. Um, okay, get out of here, buddy. Great stuff as always, Eric. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you in Edmonton. You sure will. Eric Francis and the Eric Francis Hour every Friday on Flames Talking. Get Eric Francis on Twitter, funny enough, at Eric Francis. And the uh, Eric Francis Hour is brought to you, as always, by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com 18+. plus. Please play responsibly.